Well, today is June the 14th. My name is Dwayne. Uh, welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. Today we are going to do session 18, I believe it is. Session number 18. And uh, we're going to pick up in verse number 51 and work our way through the seventh chapter of, uh, of the book of Acts. And that's what I've been doing lately is every day I'm recording 10, 15 minute session uh, with, uh, with um, just covering a few verses here and there. And then on Sundays, I'm going to put them all together. And uh, so that's what we'll do today. And it'll come out different. It always does. <laughs> I I used to, when I, you ever taught the same sermon two or three different times and it never comes out the same. Um, I used to go up to a church somewhere in Texas and they had like three Sunday morning services. And uh, after it was over, the pastor said, you preach three different messages. Um, you know, it just comes out different. So. <laughs> but anyways, uh, Acts chapter 7, verse number 51. Uh, let's pray real quick. Father, we love you and ask that you go before us today. Bless the reading of your word. Uh, Lord, do indeed uh, take the filters off of our eyes that we can see without bias. And Father, uh, open our ears that we can hear. And Lord, our hearts that we'd understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I'm recording this twofold this morning. I have it going live with my phone. I was told that the, the connection there would be better. We shall see. And then I'm also recording it on, on my laptop. So either way, it'll go up on the internet eventually. <laughs> so, but anyway, we've been working our way through Acts, uh, chapter number seven. Let me open this door real quick. And um, we got down where Stephen, look at verse 46, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon um, built him a house. In verse 48, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Um, this speaks of David, who found favor with God, who desired to build a permanent and a grand dwelling for the Ark of the Covenant, which dwelt, had previously dwelt in a tent. You know, as they took the tabernacle that was in the wilderness around and David decided, you know, we need to make a more permanent place. And now that Israel was no longer nomadic, they had settled into the land. We need to make a permanent place. But we're told in 1 Chronicles 22 that David was denied. But he was told that his son would be allowed to do so. And of course, that was Solomon. Um, so the question that we pose, why is, why is Stephen going here? Um, and of course, we know why Stephen was going there, because he was basically saying that God did not dwell in a, in a building, uh, that God did not dwell in a building. Um, instead, he dwelt in a human body, uh, in Christ uh, Jesus. Um, so we looked at Isaiah chapter 66 verses 1 and 2 as a proof text for that because that's what he's referring to. He, uh, 
he he says, uh, Thus saith the Lord God, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things hath have been, saith the Lord, but this, but to this man will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. So basically, Stephen, um, Stephen, um, in this verse, God is saying, where is the place of my rest? The assumption from the verses is that God did not need a resting place. Um, he did not ask man to build it since he could do it on his own. And uh, some would say that Stephen is saying that God may not dwell in temples that you guys have made, but he does dwell in this man whom you guys have crucified. And of course, we know, I mean, that's where he started to lose them. <laughs> uh, Stephen never was able to get this message turned around like Peter did. Uh, there was going to be no altar call for sure. Uh, Stephen is going straight for the jugular, jugular, as we can see here. He said, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have your, your fathers not persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one, and that's speaking of the Messiah, um, of whom ye have now the betrayer you you have been now the betrayers and the murderers so man he he's bottom line and you guys have betrayed and murdered the just one who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and you've not kept it so now he flat out accuses them of being stiff-necked uncircumcised and hard in other words you're too hard-headed to listen to the truth uh no doubt i stephen's words choice of words saying they were stiff-necked <clears throat> took them back to Ezekiel. And uh, of course, Ezekiel chapter 32, verse number seven, when he says, you are a stiff-necked people, uh, therefore let me alone that, that my anger may wax hot against them, that I may consume them. There's no doubt that they knew exactly what Stephen was accusing them of. And Stephen, in verse 33, verse five of Exodus, then the Lord said unto Moses, saying to the children of Israel, you are stiff-necked people. And uh, I will come up unto the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. So the Jews knew their Bibles. They knew exactly when Peter, when Stephen chose those words, what he was accusing them of. Uh, I wish we today they knew our Bibles that, that well. Peter, uh, Stephen's entire message was an indictment. Uh, it was not evangelistic in any way. I mean, yeah, maybe if it had kept going, <laughs> you know, it would eventually turn the corner. Uh, but it was an indictment from beginning to end. Um, Stephen had done exactly what they accused Peter of doing, which is, you have laid this man's death at our charge. And that's exactly what Stephen was doing. He was condemning them. And then in verse number 54, uh, when he heard these things, they were, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Um, as a result of Stephen's words, they became, as Albert Barnes puts it, enraged and indignant. In other words, how dare you accuse us of this man's death? Um, 
and I pointed out last time, you know, instead of feeling conviction at this point for what they had done, uh, they, they were indignant. They were enraged by what they had done. Um, they had rejected the king. They had rejected the kingdom. There was nothing spiritual about these people. Um, and if there's anything that I learned in years of pastoring, there's a lot of people in the church that aren't spiritual. Um, they're not walking in the spirit. That which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. And when you're trying to deal with people like that, it, they're always going to become enraged and indignant when you come down on them uh, because they are not walking in the spirit, they're walking in the flesh. So their response is going to be a fleshly response, which means it's going to be bad. Um, in verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly in heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So in this verse, as we said previously, we see the Trinity. Uh, we see um, he being full of the Holy Ghost, third person of the Trinity, and steadfastly looking at heaven, saw the glory of God, first person of the Trinity, and Jesus, second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy the Holy Ghost here. So this verse, you know, I, I hear people say all the time, where does the Bible say God's a Trinity? Uh, you can start in, G in Genesis 1, it would be a good place to start. Um, it's undeniable that the Bible teaches that God is a Trinity. Um, in Genesis chapter number one, I mean, just go there. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Um, I mean, if you got a KJV plus or you've got, um, you know, it says Elohim. Elohim is the plural of God. Um, you know, and then you keep going down Genesis 1 26. Uh, believe it is. And God said, let us make man in our image. I mean, you see the Trinity. We are made in the similitude, in the image of God. Dwayne the body, Dwayne the mind, Dwayne the spirit. I'm made in the image of God, yet I am still Dwayne. Um, so we see the Trinity here. Now look in verse number, number 56. Uh, and said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then he cried out with a loud voice, and, st and they stopped their ears. In other words, they quit listening. I don't, I don't think it means they, I don't know, they might have, but they, in other words, they quit listening, and they ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Notice that when Stephen said he saw the Son of Man, again, they cried, they stopped their ears, they ran upon him with one accord. Why? Because he was flat out accusing them of killing the Messiah. And make no mistake, I mean, if you've ever tried to share the gospel with some people, you get one or two responses. I mean, you can get an ambivalent, yeah, I hear you, I'll think about that. And some people get aggressive, actually hostile uh, when you do that. And these people were outright hostile. Um, and then another reason I think that he, they did that was uh, when he says uh, that he saw, um, they stopped their ears and they stoned him, the heavens opened, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I think that combination of words, heaven open, Son of Man standing, 
again, it, it, it's a prelude to judgment, just like the words stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hard. He, he's making another accusation. And again, we lose so much because we, don't, we were not there and we don't know their language. We have a translation from their language. We don't realize how strong their language was and what they were saying. Um, it's like when someone comes to the South and, you know, when, and when everybody keeps uh, telling them, you know, bless their heart, you know, that's, um, <laughs> you know, to an outsider, you know, they hear that and think, well, you know, they're blessing my heart, you know, when in, rea in reality, uh, they're, they're saying you're stupid. Um, again, the power of language um, was there. Um, and again, um, he, he's, he's bringing judgment on them. And I'll submit to you that, that this is where the nation committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is the one Jesus warned them. Remember, Jesus warned them in Matthew 12. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Um, the nation here is committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, I referred last time to Ezekiel. You know, the last time we saw the heavens open in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse number 1, it was judgment was getting ready to come down on the people. So they knew exactly what he was accusing them of. And unfortunately, they are running headlong into committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, I have actually been accused of committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit uh, because uh, I was in uh, Guatemala, as a matter of fact. I was, uh, I went down there, my family and I lived down there for a little over a year. And uh, there was a charismaniac movement going on in the community and I just, you know, some of the some of the people came to me and asked me what I thought of it and I was just flat out honest with them. Uh, I told them, you know, it wasn't biblical. And of course the pastor accused me from the pulpit of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So um, that that is not this. Uh, this right here is an is a sin that could only be committed in its truest sense by the nation of Israel. Uh, the nation of Israel blasphemed the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost and they rejected it. That is the first and foremost interpretive definition of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, can we today blaspheme the Holy Spirit? I, I believe if we can, it's not in this sense. I think if we, um, if we die without Christ, if we spurn the wooing of the Holy Spirit, who desires to see that all men be saved, I mean, yes, I mean, I think we can push off, deny the Holy Spirit, and, and ultimately in death, it's the unforgivable sin. It's the unpardonable sin, uh, but we cannot commit it in this sense. Uh, this was for the nation of Israel. Remember, he told them, um, you know, you can do whatever you want to to the Son of Man and it will be forgiven. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it will never be forgiven. And of course, they crucified the Son of Man. So God was willing to forgive them of that. Um, God was willing to forgive them of that. 
congratulations, brother. <laughs> I've, done, I've been accused myself. When you come out against them, they get strong on you and they start taking scripture out of context. Uh, so yeah, I was accused of that. Um, it actually helped my little fellowship and it hurt my little fellowship because the pastor was pretty powerful in the area. But some of them began to sneak into the back of, of our little church and, uh, and got the truth handed to them. So, um, so anyway, also in these verses, we see Saul is introduced. Um, Saul, who would become Paul, was present and he was consenting unto his death. And we know that because down in Acts chapter 8, verse number 1, it says, and Saul was consenting unto his death. <clears throat> in other words, he gave his approval. Paul wasn't just an, a standby. Paul wasn't just an onlooker. Paul was actively involved. If anything, he was the leader of what they were doing. And we see this in Galatians 1.13, for ye have heard of my conversation, my life and time past in the Jews' religion, referring to Judaism, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and I wasted it. Um, so Paul was not an innocent bystander here, but he was the primary leader, one of the primary leaders. Um, and why? Because he believed in, in his heart of hearts that, that Jesus was an imposter. He, he, he believed he was fake. Uh, and we've already established the fact that the reason God did not bring immediate judgment upon the nation was because of ignorance. And we've established that. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen here is going to say, lay not this sin to their charge. Peter said, ye did it in ignorance. In other words, they didn't know who he was. And uh, there's a difference, as we've discussed in time past, between premeditatively killing someone, murdering someone, which was life for life, and killing someone on accident or killing someone in ignorance. In the Old Testament, it talks about a man that's cleaning a hedgerow and he's throwing stones, you know, over his from his field over the hedgerow and the stone kills a passerby. You know, that's not murder. Um, you know, that's, um, you know, that's not premeditated. So therefore that person could flee to the city of refuge where he would find grace. Okay. And we've talked about that in our previous studies. Now notice in verse number 59, and they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord, Jesus received my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice saying, Lord, lay not this into their charge. And when they had said this, he fell asleep. Um, this verse is important and it's too often overlooked. Uh, Stephen, even though he saw Jesus standing in preparation for this judgment. Now, you know, I remember I've preached many a sermon, God stands to receive his saints. Um, you know, that's, that's speculative. I believe he was standing in judgment. Uh, it was not for Stephen per se, as much as it was showing that judgment was going to come. Um, we will see in the very next chapter that God is now going to send Paul, someone else to the Gentiles. And 
the point, the thing that we need to remember here is the nation of Israel has, at this point, rejected the Holy Spirit. They have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They have <clears throat> rejected the offer of a king and a kingdom. Now, for many, many years, I taught, and I was taught, that they rejected the king when they crucified him. That's not true. Um, they had to have crucified him. It was prophesied that they would crucify him. Um, he had to be the sacrifice. Um, and again, uh, you can do what you want to the Son of Man and it will be forgiven you. But the man that blasphemes the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven you. God was willing to forgive them for crucifying their Messiah if they would have repented. So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit was not in killing the Messiah. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit was rejecting the final offer of the kingdom. And that did not happen, my friend, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And once you come to understand that, it revolutionizes your thinking. Uh, the rejection, the final rejection was at Pentecost in Acts chapter number, or what started in Acts chapter number two. Um, let's see, could he be standing as this is a, the pivotal moment, the last stand, if you will, the last chance they had to accept their Messiah? Sure. Um, I mean, it was the final offer. It was, it was, it was the, the, it was the last opportunity. And had they rejected it, and, and again, you know, we're getting into grounds, I guess, that's kind of speculative. I mean, I'm looking at Ezekiel, I'm comparing what happened there, <clears throat> looking at the language that, that Stephen is using. But yeah, I mean, he could have been, I mean, this is this is the final offer, no doubt. I mean, I, I, guess, I guess we could say that. I would be willing to say that for sure. Um, but again, it, it's... As we know, it's not happening. And this is where the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit occurred. It did not occur when they killed their Messiah. If that be the case, then, then we have to reevaluate how we look at Pentecost. And if we reevaluate the way we look at Pentecost, we're going to have to reevaluate everything to the point where we end up in chapter 8, verse number 1, with the introduction of Saul. Paul, because nothing changed. From Acts chapter 2 through Acts chapter number 7, even into chapter 8 until we introduce to Paul. And then obviously God is doing a new thing. God is doing something with this guy, Paul. Um, and again, I, I've mentioned this before. God's initial plan, and this I didn't understand for a long time. God's initial plan was to reach the Gentiles through the nation of Israel. Period. Uh, he, he did not, the body of Christ, the, the mystery was something hid that no one knew about. They didn't know about it in the Old Testament. The apostles didn't know, know anything about it until it was told to Paul. So anything that the apostles were preaching or teaching was related to the offering of this kingdom. And this kingdom here is being rejected. But what God wanted to do was for the nation of Israel to repent, turn to their Messiah. And yes, I believe Daniel's 70th week would have began right here. The clock would have continued ticking. Christ came at 483 weeks. And there was seven, seven years left to 490. So had they accepted their Messiah, they would have rolled right into the tribulation period. And the nation of Israel, in their repentance, Christ would have returned. And I believe 
the God would have used them in the kingdom, um, they would become his kings and priests to reach the Gentile nations. Uh, that was God's plan. And once you, you, you start understanding that, it changes the way you see what's going on. The church was hidden. Uh, yes, God knew it was going to happen. But the, the kingdom offer was, was legitimate. It was not a bait and switch with the nation of Israel. He legitimately offered it to them. Repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's, it's coming. And then in, at Pentecost, fulfillment of Joel 2, 28 through 32. Um, or of course, all of Joel 2, 28 through 32 was not fulfilled. The great tribulational part was not fulfilled, but it could have, would have, should have been fulfilled had the nation of Israel repented. And we've talked about that. God wanted to use the nation of Israel as, as, as priests, as a nation of kings and priests to take that message to the Gentile nations. And then we get down into chapter 8. <clears throat> and Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Now, just reading the text, as a result of the persecution, which was obviously being levied against the people by Saul, the church that was in Jerusalem, not to be confused with the body of Christ. There is no body of Christ. Paul is not even converted yet. Paul had not even received the mystery yet. This is a kingdom church made up of Jews. And we were told proselytes, which are those that converted to Judaism. The church was scattered. And it was scattered to Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. <clears throat> and that begs the question, why? Now, I used to teach <clears throat> that God used the persecution to scatter the church, to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem, and therefore fulfill the Great Commission. Um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I would look at the book of Acts and say the whole book of Acts is about how the early church took the gospel beginning at Jerusalem, took it to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And God used Paul to do that. God used Paul to scatter the seed, if you will, uh, to take uh, this out. Um, but I've learned since then that that's not the case at all. Um, I used to teach that God used persecution to scatter the church. Now, if that's correct, then why were the apostles being so disobedient? The apostles were the ones that didn't go. The apostles were the ones that he told specifically to go. Uh, they would be the most disobedient of them all. Um, and of course, then you got to ask yourself, what did these people who were scattered, what gospel did they take? They couldn't have taken the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They took the kingdom gospel with them. Matthew, uh, Acts chapter 11, verse number 19. Now they that were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word none but unto the Jews, 
to none but unto the Jews. They were still on the kingdom agenda. They were still preaching the word, uh, the kingdom gospel, to none but the Jews. Um, the church as we know it is not in view here. It was not born in Acts chapter number 2. Uh, this is still the kingdom church, the kingdom agenda. This is messianic believers. They were Jews only. They were still looking for a king and a kingdom. Um, of course, many have no problem today with second guessing the actions of the apostles. Um, I've heard it. I heard it all the time in Bible college and I heard it in seminary, you know, things like, well, you know, they, you know, they got ahead of God. You know, they shouldn't have chose Matthias. Uh, Paul was meant to be the 13th, uh, the 12th apostle. Um, says who? It's because you don't understand the motivations of the apostles. You don't understand the motivation of the 11. The 11 were told that they were going to rule and reign with Christ. Or not rule and reign with Christ, that's referring to the body. But said they would they would sit on 12 thrones um judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So they were one throne short and they were fully expecting the Messiah to return and establish his kingdom. They needed a 12th apostle. That's why they moved like they did. That's why they did what they did. That was their motivation. So again, people say they shouldn't have chosen Matthias. They got ahead of God. And they'll say, well, Peter, you know, Peter got a little ahead of himself. You know, well, on Pentecost, when he quoted Joel chapter number two, you know, he, he shouldn't have went down into those tribulational verses in Joel chapter number two. He should have just stopped when your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your, your sons will dream visions, your old men dreams. He should have stopped right there because the rest was not meant be, to be fulfilled until after the rapture. No, the reason you think like that is because you are interjecting the church the body of Christ in Acts chapter number two. Uh, they should have already left Jerusalem. You know, the apostles were being disobedient, they would say. They should have went out of Jerusalem and fulfilled the Great Commission. Matthew 28, go ye therefore in all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. You know, uh, uh, go into, uh, what is it, Acts chapter number two. This is interesting. Acts two, where he says, um, uh, who here? No, it's Acts one, Acts one eight, um, Acts one one eight. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the other uttermost parts of the earth. And again, people will look at that verse and they will apply it to the body of Christ. And they will say the apostles should have went out and should have taken the gospel to, it started in Jerusalem, it should go to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So they'll say the apostles are being disobedient here. Um, but if you look at those, those verses, they have words like go. They have words like works. They have words like teach. They have words like baptize. It's a gospel of works. It is not believe. It is not believing in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not the same gospel. Um, and we just don't understand that. Um, 
you know, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, go ye therefore, go, preach the gospel to every creature, uh, and he that believes shall be baptized, he that believeth not shall be damned, and all these signs shall follow um, them that believe. In my name they will cast out devils, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, how many Bibles are there out there that says this last part of Mark should not be there? You know, why? Because we're trying to apply that to the body of Christ. It never was for the body of Christ. It was for <clears throat> the Jerusalem church. It was for the kingdom church. And they were going to do these things. So we just remove it from our Bible because it doesn't conveniently fit in the way we think it should be interpreted, unfortunately. So <clears throat> anyway, we just have the audacity to insinuate that the 12 were confused. I don't think so. Um, how about we take the opposite approach? They knew exactly what they were doing and we are the ones that are confused in trying to force our theology on the text. Think about that for a minute. Maybe we're the ones that are confused. Maybe we're the ones that are trying to force our theology on the text. And the only way that we can do that is to make excuses for what the, the apostles actually said and did. It's only after you distance yourself from that kind of thinking that you're able to see it with fresh eyes. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 24, for example, how many times do we read that and we try to find the church, the body of Christ? It's not there. He that endures to the end shall be saved. Um, that's speaking to the, 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 the Jewish believers during the tribulation period. And the body of Christ isn't going to be here. <laughs> We're going to be raptured out. It has nothing to do with us. Read through Matthew chapter 24 and just remember the body of Christ is not born yet. Christ is not speaking to the body. So the question remains, why were they remaining in Jerusalem? This by all accounts, anywhere between four to five years after Pentecost, they're still in Jerusalem. Um, why are they still in Jerusalem? Um, here's the answer. They knew that before the kingdom could come to Israel, all of Jerusalem, its leaders had to repent and accept Jesus Christ as their long awaited Messiah. That had to be, that, that had not been done yet. That had not been done yet. So they still believed they had to stay in Jerusalem because Jerusalem had not repented. Jerusalem had not accepted their Messiah. They had just rejected Peter and they had just stoned Stephen. So if Jerusalem wouldn't repent, then why should they, they, they go all the way out into Judea and Samaria, let alone the uttermost parts of the earth? Um, it would only be then that God would use the nation to reach the Gentile nations, as we discussed at the end of chapter number seven. Jerusalem had to repent. Jerusalem had to accept their Messiah. And once they had done that, then they could move out and do 
the other. All throughout the, the Old Testament, there is prophecy after prophecy in regards to this. Israel had to be saved first, and that had to start at Jerusalem. Even then, understand that had they accepted it, they still would have only went to Jews. They would not have went to Gentiles from that point forward. They would only have went to the Jews. Jesus told them, go to the Jew only. Do not go to the Gentile. Um, the way I see it is that once the Jews accepted the gospel of the kingdom, he would then use them to reach or use them during the kingdom to reach the Gentiles. Okay, This is when the nation would have become a kingdom of priests. And Zechariah, read Zechariah. Zechariah 8, verse number 20. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, It shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities. Listen to this. This is millennial language here. This is kingdom language here. Um, and the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So again, um, Jerusalem, the gospel of the kingdom was to the nation of Israel. And had they repented, God would have brought in Daniel's 70th week. It would have culminated in the second coming of Christ. And then God would have used the Jewish nation to reach the nations of the earth. But that's not what happened. Instead, they rejected their king. They rejected their kingdom. And therefore, God raised up Paul as an act of mercy, as a result of their ignorance, to take the gospel to the Gentiles instead. And Paul was the first of the body of Christ. Um, and uh, once you begin to understand that, it makes complete sense. So uh, anyway, I've ran out of notes, man. That's uh, that's as far as I've gotten, man. I have, I've got a few more things, but... Uh, I'm just not ready to go into it yet, but um, anyway, I hope you've enjoyed that uh, that study, and I uh, hope that you're doing well, and I'm going to continue as I study. I'm going to do 10, 15 minutes a day as I move forward, and then on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, I'm just going to go over it all again uh, in a session, if you will. Uh, that's the plan, so I'm learning as you're learning, so <laughs> I'd encourage you to stay in the Word of God. Like my brother just said, I mean, the word of God is powerful. It's quick. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And, you know, who can ever know 
the height, the depth, the length, the width, you know, of the love of God. I mean, it's past finding out. Um, um, Scott telling me he wants me to <laughs> go on without notes, which which I, I could, you know, I've got a, you know, but, uh, but anyway, this is Saul. And study something this week. Um, you know, and I realize I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here for many, but there's others that listen to this outside of this study, of course. But if you go over to 1 Timothy uh, 2, um, where is it? Is it 2 Timothy? Uh, where Paul said uh, uh, that he was, the, where's the, where's the word uh, protos? Let me see. Um, that in me first, in me first. Yeah, First Timothy one sixteen. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. That verse is actually saying that Paul was the first person to be born into the body of Christ. He is the first. So no one before him had been. No one before him had received the gospel of grace. Paul was the first to receive the gospel of grace. So study 1 Timothy 1, um, 1 16. Uh, I think that'll help you. He is the chief. He is the protest. He was the first. He was the pattern for you and for me, for all that would come hereafter. So, again, once you come to understand that, you know, you, you come to know that Acts chapter 2 was not in. That was not the birth of the church. And if you look at all of the divisions and, and the denominations that we have today, I would, I would submit that all of their disagreements are around Acts. You know, the Pentecostals are clinging to Pentecost. And the gifts of the Spirit, the sign gifts, um, the covenant theologians are clinging to the fact that this is where, you know, the church became Israel. The church in Israel are now one. Um, they don't see uh, the division between Israel and the body of Christ. Again, it all comes back to uh, Acts because we do not understand Acts. The way that we should. And like I've said many times, Acts is a transitional book. There is a transition taking place in the book of Acts. And if you miss it, you're going to get trapped into these denominational disputes. Now, when someone comes to me and says, well, what about this? What about covenant theology? What about this? What about uh, the gifts of the spirit? What about, hey, I know what happened in the book of Acts. I, I can give you an answer now. I don't have to speculate on it anymore. I don't have to massage verses to make it say something that it doesn't say anymore. I know what it says. I know what happened. Pentecost was for the Jew. The sign gifts was for the giving of the kingdom. The kingdom was rejected. There went the gifts. Um, it doesn't mean that God doesn't still work. It doesn't mean that God doesn't still move. But he does not work and move in that way. Because that was not for the church. There was no church. Um, so, again, I mean, it just, 
I guess it makes you a little more narrow-minded. <laughs> um, but anyway, I encourage you to keep studying. Uh, I appreciate you guys uh, following along with me and just... Uh, I'll keep doing my studies throughout the week and we'll gather on Sunday morning, nine o'clock. It looks like this works. So I'll go ahead and uh, uh, I'll figure out how to put my notes into all this. But uh, anyway, I love you guys. And uh, remember that God loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good. God bless you guys.